You're listening to Advice from Your Advocates, a show where we provide elder law advice to professionals who work with the elderly and their families. Welcome back to Advice from Your Advocates. I'm Bob Manner. I'm a certified elder law attorney in Michigan. And today our guest is the supervising attorney and director of operations of Manor Law Group, Kelly King-Penner. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) So we have a very important topic today. This isn't something that you need to know about. So if you live in Michigan, this is very important that you understand the new law that just passed regarding durable powers of attorney. So... First, before we get too far into it, let's talk about what a durable power of attorney is. Sure. So there are lots of different kinds of durable powers of attorney. What we're specifically talking about when we say a durable power of attorney is a document that allows you to appoint someone else to help manage financial assets for you. So to make sure your bills are getting paid, um, make sure that your assets are being properly managed, when usually when you are not unable to do it for yourself. That's typically what we're talking about is that financial power. And so a lot of times this is overlooked and people think, oh, I have a form, whatever, I can fill that out. The issue is, I believe this is the most important legal document. A lot of people are going to say maybe it's the health care power of attorney or patient advocate. Some people would say a will or a trust. I say the durable power of attorney is the most important document because in the event that you get sick or become incapacitated, it is very important that you have the people you love and trust that can be able to make those decisions for you, make sure your bills are paid, and beyond. This is particularly important as we get older because so many people face some form of dementia before they die. This is not a fun conversation. I understand this, right? This is a difficult conversation to think that I might get dementia or that Kelly might get dementia or that you might get dementia, but so many people do, and that durable power of attorney is going to be the most important document if that happens. Now, let's talk about why we're here. Mm-hmm. What happened? What's Is there a new law? Yes, there is a new law that's going to be taking effect July 1st. So it's currently been passed. It's been signed by the governor, but it's not effective yet. So to be clear, July 1st, 2024. Correct. July 1st, 2024. So what this new power of attorney um, is aiming to do is it is part of the uniform power of attorney movement. And when we talk about uniform power of attorney, we're talking about consistency. So a lot of states are adopting these uniform laws in order to have consistency in how the law is written across. Now, they're not always fully adopted across um, states. So the same one here may not be the same one in another state, but they're designed to be fairly consistent. Michigan, in the last couple of years, has made a major push to have the durable power of attorney statute be more uniform. So that's where this law has come out of. And it really came out of a lot of the guardianship reform and a lot of the problems that we as elder law attorneys and estate planning attorneys have been kind of facing when it comes to using these powers of attorney. So the goal in mind was to have a new law that was more functional and more likely to be accepted across um, states and more likely to be accepted in state as well. So our opinion, both Kelly and I, our opinion is that there's some good and there's some bad in this new law. As with all. As with all. Most of the, almost all legislation yep. is that way, right? Yep. And so this is important. So we're going to talk about the good first. And mm-hmm. you mentioned one, the uniformity uh, with other states. That can be helpful because nowadays most banks aren't the based in Michigan. Right. Any of the big banks are usually based in some other state. And so it's sometimes harder. The other issue 
is something that I, I'm going to have you talk about for a second because it's what we call enforceability of, or will it be accepted? Will the power of attorney be accepted? So talk to us a little bit about that sure. and why the new law is helpful in that regard. Yeah, so to understand that, the current law in place does not have an enforcement mechanism. And when I say it doesn't have an enforcement mechanism, I say if we go to ABC Bank, ABC Bank can decide we're not going to accept the power of attorney that you have written. Despite the fact that it might be properly executed with the state of Michigan, there might be some flaw that they are concerned about um, where they're just going to say we're not going to accept it, we're not going to honor it. Well, in those circumstances, we then typically are left with very few options. Sometimes we can work it out with the bank. Sometimes we have to go seek conservatorship, which is an extreme option that we really try to avoid. Mm -hmm. But under the current law, there was no enforcement mechanism for us to be like, Please ex or please go through this. Let's let's create a process for that. So the new law is designed to have an enforcement mechanism where if the bank or the financial institution has some kind of an issue, um, that they can accept an attorney opinion um, in order to reduce some of their liability or to reduce their concern over what might happen with it. Um, if they still are uncomfortable with it, there is some court enforcement mechanism behind it. Um, this is new territory, so we'll see how this plays out. This is part of that. We'll see, but it's at least helpful that we have an enforcement mechanism that we have not had previously, so that's at least a step in the right direction. So here's what we believe. Like Kelly said, it we don't know how this will be enforced or used in Michigan or interpreted in Michigan yet because it you know, frankly, with every law, we have to have it be in place and see how it works before we know exactly how it's going to be um, interpreted, right. frankly. Uh, however, Kelly and I both have a um, professional network of lawyers uh, throughout the country. And so we both had opportunities to speak and uh, interact with uh, some excellent lawyers throughout the country. And what we've learned from them is when they do adopt these provisions of enforcement, that it does create um, – that they've had better experiences than we have when there was no enforcement option there. Right. Because we were for, I don't know, at least 15 years now, we've been fighting to make sure that the bank or the financial institution accepts that power of attorney. Yeah. And it's been a challenge. That has been probably the most common estate planning hurdle that I have is the power of attorney and getting that um, in place with the agent so that it can actually do what it's designed to do. And it's not because the document was drafted poorly or anything um, related to the law itself. It really comes down to that enforcement mechanism. And banks are based in different states. There's different laws. There's no consistency. So it became very challenging to navigate that environment. So let's talk about some of the challenges of the new law. So one of them, and this is this is what you need to hear. So if you watch this, listen to this, this is your takeaway. That do you need a new power of attorney if you already have one? And maybe not today because the law hasn't taken effect mm -hmm. yet, but sometime in 2024, 2025, is it your recommendation that people update their power of attorney yeah. with a qualified lawyer? So my recommendation in this circumstance is to do an update. And it's not because there is anything wrong with your existing power of attorney. If it was executed properly under the old law, um, it is still technically fine. 
technically fine isn't always going to be the most functional part of your plan. And Correct. really when we're doing this is I don't want to argue over the technicality of this document. I want to get a plan in front of you that I know is going to be functional and that will actually work as part of it. Would we succeed on arguing on technicality? Probably. But how long is it going to take you and how much money is it going to cost you to get there? Probably a lot less than it would be to meet with a qualified attorney and get an updated power of attorney. In a minute, we'll talk about why we recommend you meet with an experienced qualified attorney rather than just download a form Mm -hmm. that might be in compliance with the new law Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, we're talking about the usability of it. Okay, so this is something that we notice that sometimes people have these documents, they never um, tried it, they never tried to use it, even some lawyers, frankly. So some lawyers, there's different lawyers that do different things, and some lawyers are more planning lawyers, so they prepare documents, which of course is what we do, mm-hmm. but there's some lawyers uh, like us that actually help the family use those documents. Right. And some of the planning lawyers don't actually do the other part of it, where they, where we're involved in helping you use the document, helping you protect assets in the event of a medical need, things like that. And so, um, frankly, our documents have changed. The way that we um, write them, the way that we use them have changed based on our experience of using them with families that needed our help. Yeah, absolutely. And especially knowing the subtlety of what's in part of that. Because you might, and this is even a difference among practitioners. You ask 21 lawyers what their opinion are, you're going to get 21 different opinions on it, but it depends on the areas that they're using these powers of attorney. There might be language in a power of attorney that you read it and you're like, why would I empower anybody to do that? Well, it might be a specific authority that we as elder law attorneys need in order to protect assets from nursing home poverty. Um, So there's reasons for all of these things, but um, understanding what those reasons are are not always evident by the face of the document itself. So you really sometimes need to get good opinions on what's going on. If you've heard us speak before, you may have heard us use the term extraordinary powers. This is very important. Why would you ever need extra or extraordinary powers? And the answer is the vast majority of time where we need those is because now you're going to need, um, it's usually a dementia issue, Alzheimer's, that type of a thing. But it's often because we need to preserve assets and help you qualify for benefits to pay for home care, assisted living, nursing home. I think as we get older, that's one of people's biggest fears is that they're going to lose all their money or lose their house to the cost of nursing home care or something like that. And uh, the truth is, we can always help you protect your house and other assets from the qual- the cost of, of care mm-hmm. and qualify for benefits that would pay for that while we preserve those assets. Here's the problem. We need your permission. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not giving me your permission because you don't know me well enough. You are giving the person you love and trust permission, okay? So maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your daughter. Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your granddaughter. It's it's who you love and trust, okay? You're giving authority to them to go extra and above and beyond to be able to protect those assets. Now, why is that important? Because by the time you need it, you're probably not capable, legally capable of authorizing it. So you need to pre-authorize these things. And that's what we call an extraordinary power. It is not in the, uh, I've been doing this for 
27 years, I mm-hmm. guess now. You've been doing it for 10? About? Uh, almost 12, actually. Almost 12 years. And so and in that time period, how many powers of attorney have we looked at? 10,000? Uh, yeah, easily. <laughs> yeah. Easily 1,000. Well, yeah. for me, it's way more I than have, that. I mean, yeah, uh, yes. But the idea is most of them don't have these extraordinary powers in there because most lawyers don't get involved in helping qualify for benefits to pay for home care and nursing home and things like that. And so they don't use those that language, and so it's not in there. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to put that language that we need in the new uniform power of attorney law? Yeah, so it is incorporated as part of the law, but here's where it is um, – I think dangerous to pursue this without getting some good legal advice is you do have to specifically authorize it. And when you read it, because there is a statutory form, that's one thing I don't think we've made clear yet, is the new law actually has a form power of attorney. Um, Forms can be very useful tools. They are tools that you have to use properly with the right guidance. We're not just, you know, taking a chainsaw to an electrical wire and saying this should be fine. Um, we want to make sure that we're getting proper guidance on that. So the forms do authorize it, but you have to, they're not standard in the form. It's not like you sign the durable um, power of attorney, the uniform one that's provided, and it's authorizing extraordinary powers. You have to specifically authorize those. Um, and you may not do it correctly, or we may not understand the language and may not even mark it at all because we're, we're healthier. We don't have this problem. Why would we authorize anybody to do this? Well, if we don't authorize it now, we may not be able to authorize it later. And that really is going to be a challenge for us as elder law attorneys navigating. So this is really important. And so uh, you've always been able to download a form from the Internet or go uh, to Office Depot and and buy forms from them. And we've always recommended against it. Mm -hmm. So think about this. I know it seems simple because it's a piece of paper. We want it to be simple. We're just going to sign it, put our names in there, right? This is everything you've worked for your entire life. This is your IRA. This is your house. This is your savings. This is everything you worked for your entire life. This is protecting your spouse. This is protecting yourself. This is protecting your kids. It's important enough to pay a few hundred dollars to a lawyer to do this. Absolutely. It's really easy to make mistakes. And I'm going to give you one example that's an important one. We're worried about with this form to the extent that people will authorize too many powers or not enough powers. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very likely that that will be the standard that people will do that. Now, right now, as uh, before this new law takes effect, Mm -hmm. if we don't have a proper power of attorney or we don't have any power of attorney at all, we can go into court and ask a judge for permission to do the things that we need to do. Since the the person that doesn't have the power of attorney or doesn't have a proper power of attorney, uh, since they aren't don't have capacity to sign a new one, Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to go to court and get permission from a judge. Here's where the problem comes in. Mm -hmm. If you fill out that power of attorney wrong, a judge may not substitute that judgment, even though you may or may not have understood what you were uh, signing or which uh, options you were choosing. The judge may look at that and say, we have something in writing that says what their intent are. I, as a judge, am not going to overrule that. Mm -hmm. And then we may have real trouble because we might not be able to protect your assets, protect your spouse, protect your house, things like that. So I just think it's very important, you know, come see us, come see a qualified attorney. Certainly if you're in the state of Michigan, this goes for people outside of the state too. It's just that they may, they may not, they may or may not be a new law in your state, right. but in Michigan, there's the new law. Mm-hmm. When, 
and I'm I'm suggesting possibly after it takes effect, yeah. when should they come in and sign a new power of attorney? I mean, you should really do this uh, on a routine basis as far as having your documents looked at. But I would say when that new law is effective, it doesn't hurt to you know revisit your attorney. It's certainly not something you want to put off because we. We never know when a crisis is necessarily going to happen. Today we have health, we have longevity. What does tomorrow hold for us? And especially when it comes to your health, there's just nothing guaranteed with it. Um, so not that you need to rush out and have uh, make an appointment on July 1st, but you definitely want to make this a priority to have your estate plan revisited. And I can't echo this enough when it comes to not just the durable power of attorney. Obviously, that's what we're talking about. But you should have your estate plan regularly looked at. I mean, right. you yourself should look at that at least once a year and have it um, regularly reviewed with an attorney. But also, if there is something going on with your life that there's been a recent diagnosis, there's been some kind of family issue that's coming on, you need to pull out those documents and look at them as soon as possible. Um, but I would definitely not delay this um, as far as, you know, putting it on the back burner of, oh, I'll someday get to that. Um, really, I would absolutely do it within the next year after this law becomes effective. But ideally, you want to have that looked at um, as soon as possible. So I want to spend 20 seconds just addressing our clients, the clients of Manor Law Group. Uh, we will, this is, uh, there's been significant changes of the law in the past few years. And we always try to contact all of our clients, let them know about the change in the law. We will be doing that for our clients of Manor Law Group, yes. at least all the ones that we have their updated address and Absolutely. things like that. Mm -hmm. But we won't be doing it until after July 1st. So right. you'll, sometime this year, you'll get some contact from us uh, with some instructions as to what's the best way to, to handle this. But we won't be doing that until after July. I want to point out one other thing that people sometimes get confused about. They hear the word power of attorney. And they, uh, some people don't make a distinguish, uh, they don't distinguish between your financial power of attorney, usually called a durable power of attorney, and your medical power of attorney, right. sometimes called a patient advocate. Mm -hmm. Are they the same thing? Can they be the same thing? So they are not the same thing. There's actually, and especially after this new law, they're going to be dictated or, or controlled by different statutes. Right. So the healthcare power of attorney is controlled by the estates and protected individuals called code. It is a patient advocate designation when it talks about it in terms of that. What we mean is healthcare power of attorney. So patient advocate designation, healthcare power of attorney, those are the same thing. They have different rules. They even have different execution rules for how they have to be signed. Um, the financial power of attorney is going to operate under this new statute, which is the Uniform Durable Power of Attorney um, statute that will control that. Um, they should not be the same document. I occasionally will see them in that, those 10,000 documents that we've reviewed. I occasionally have seen them as a combined. Because they are controlled by different laws, I never really want to see them combined. And I also think that causes confusion for the places that need to accept them as well. Because if they're looking for specific boxes to check off to say, okay, yeah, they have this, they have this, they have this. And they see something kind of out of the ordinary for that. That causes concern for them where they're more likely to reject it, which causes delay issues. So that's, that's time, that's money, that's havoc for our family. I would not recommend that those be combined within one document. So if you look and see and they are combined within one document, 
I would consider having that looked at and updated simply from a clarity purposes. Also, sometimes those people are not suited to make the same types of decisions. Mm, good point. Your financial agent and your medical agent might be two different people. And if you're trying to accomplish all of those in one document, that gets to be really complicated and confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also rare that I would ever see this. Married couples should have individual ones. All I right. shouldn't see a joint power of attorney for married couples. I have seen it. I think it's confusing, and I think it's more likely to cause problems. A hundred percent. That should not be the case. So you shouldn't try to combine the healthcare power of attorney or patient advocate with the financial power of attorney or durable power of attorney. Mm -hmm. Those are two separate documents, and they're both very important. We call those the lifetime documents. Mm -hmm. Frankly, we think anybody over 18 years old should have them if you've got somebody you love and trust. If you've got nobody that you love and trust... Then great. Then I guess we're going to have to rely on a court to appoint a stranger to do it potentially, or maybe not a stranger, but the court will ultimately have to appoint somebody if you're not capable of making your own decisions. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so important because most of us do have people we love and trust. Now, what if you have somebody you don't trust? Should we put them as your power of attorney just because they're your son? Absolutely not. No. Maybe for medical if you're comfortable with that, but we're not going to put somebody that's not trustworthy with money in charge of money, Mm -hmm. okay? One last point, sure. and then we'll close up for today. You're not giving up anything when you sign a power of attorney, okay? You're saying someone else that you trust and love also has the authorization, if they need it, to pay a bill, mm-hmm. to move money around if we need to. Uh You are not giving that up. You still have that right, and you will still continue to to use that. It's just that this is so that we have it in place before you need it. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean you're giving up anything, you know, whether it's the financial or the medical, you're not giving up the right to make your own decisions by any means. I think that's one of the reasons why we actually push really hard for um, less restrictive documents. So powers, those lifetime documents, are actually less restrictive on you as a person because it's enabling you to maintain those um, authority over yourself. You're still able to, you know, make decisions for yourself. You're still able to change those documents for as long as you have capacity to do so. You you maintain control. If we have to escalate that to a more restrictive environment, um, like a guardianship or a conservatorship, that's where we're really looking at losing some a- autonomy over ourselves and some control. Um, so it's really important to have those those powers of attorney in place, even if you th- think, okay, I don't I'm have, healthy. I'm healthy, everything's fine, or I, this is one that I typically get, especially for people my age, I don't have anything. You have more than you think. I can guarantee that. But also, you have yourself, and you right. want to maintain that autonomy and that control over your 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 own kind of being. Um, powers of attorney really empower you to do that. And that's what I think is sometimes um, people don't think about it in terms of that. But really, it is allowing you to dictate what you want for yourself. Well, and that's an excellent point that you made about, uh, well, I don't have anything. We often recommend these for 18-year-olds. Mm-hmm. When somebody's 18, they're a legal adult. Their parents can't help them anymore. They can't get access to information anymore. So if you're, uh, you know, for anybody over 18, whether it's your child, your grandchild, anything like that, if they don't have these documents, it could be that we have to run into court. So yeah. court is where they take away your authority. A power of attorney is where you're still, you know, you're still in control and you're deciding who will be able to help you. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important to remember that, uh, you know, this is, we call it a financial power of attorney, mm-hmm. but really it's a legal and financial. There's a lot of legal decisions that need to be made too that have nothing to do with finances, mm-hmm. which is why we want, you know, anybody over 18 to do these. Absolutely. And they are one of, 
like you mentioned earlier, they are one of the most important estate planning tools that you have. Um, and it is truly for anybody 18 years and older. So once you are a legal adult, this is really something that you should do. So thank you for joining us today, uh, Kelly. And what we're going to do, I'm going to give you two action items. <laughs> One is later this year, so probably in the third or fourth quarter of 2024, uh, inquire about getting an updated power of attorney so that it's more likely that it'll be accepted uh, when you need it, when the person you love and trust needs to help you out. The second is to subscribe to the podcast, and you can subscribe at any of the services that offer podcasts, or you can go to our website, which is mannerlawgroup.com, and go to the website page, or the podcast page and, and subscribe there. Thank you, Kelly. This was great information and appreciate your time. We will be doing a separate one on healthcare powers of attorney and patient advocates, so look for that one too. Thank you. So... Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit mannerlawgroup.com.